Good morning, Grace Point. Happy New Year's Eve, Eve, right? Or can I say New Year's Adam? Will that work? So my wife was telling me, no, it's New Year's Adam. It's like, okay, Adam came before Eve. You guys get it? Okay, okay. there you go. It's okay, it's still early. We're <laughs> so it's a corny joke, but I have to start that way, and that's just what I do. Do you guys have a good Christmas? Oh, good. Yeah, I, I heard Gunner dressed up a little bit. Is that right? Okay. Good. Well, you should have seen the picture. I, I'm glad I didn't share it with you guys. You better probably put it up here of uh, me and all our pastors at Cross Connection this last week. Oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Well, if you want to share it, we'll share it after the service. I'm totally down. It was funny. So our pastor was like, told the whole church the weekend before it's going to be an ugly Christmas sweater day last weekend. So needless to say, we had a lot of fun. And that's why I love coming up here at Grace Point. You guys have a lot of fun too. And I think as, as Christians, we should have fun together. So um, anyways, this morning, um, I'm looking forward to starting, starting a new year. Um, I think especially, you know, after Christmas, I think every pastor and most Christians have a, just kind of a, a, a sigh of relief, amen? Because they're like, okay, it's like the whole year's gone by, and then Christmas, it all like boils down to Christmas and Christmas time. Everything gets busy. We're traveling a lot of times, and um, I always find that after Christmas, I get a, a little bit of a breath of fresh air. Although, I was thinking about it, it was like, we as Christians are so unique um, in you know, in regards to like the whole rest of the world doesn't get to celebrate the same hope that we have in Christmas. And I was just thinking about that. This, this Christmas in, in particular is like, I was, I was confronted with the fact that there's a lot of people, even in Escondido and in, in Valley Center and San Marcos and North County area in our, in our area that don't have this hope of Christ and that they go through Christmas and all that it is to them is just, it's just presents. And then it's just credit card debt that they're paying off in the new year. You know, and that's like what they get to look forward to. There's no hope. And it's like, we get to celebrate a, a freedom and the, the greatest gift that humanity has ever been given last week. We got to celebrate that. That our Savior was born and that he came into the world to give us freedom and hope and the rest of the world that doesn't know it. It breaks my heart that they don't. And it really, it stirs me to want to share that even more. Um, and I, and that's kind of the direction I'm going today is I want, I want us to, um, leave today with increased faith. Increased faith in God. Increased faith in the world. And I thought it was great what Debbie shared actually is going to tie in really well with uh, the sermon today. We're going to be talking in uh, the, the book of faith, Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to be. Um, and we're going to actually be talking a little bit about Abraham and Sarah and their faith. And I think that when we read about other people's faith, it actually stirs our own faith a little bit. When we read about our brothers and sisters who have had faith in God and they've been written about, um, and we read about these stories, we actually, our faith has increased. And we can go through the next day and we can realize, well, because of their faith, they were able to face tomorrow. They were able to face the obstacles that they had in the coming year and in, in their whole life. And a lot of them faced many great obstacles, and God did impossible things through them because he can, because they had faith. And yet, I want to, I want to encourage us just to ask us, is what do we want our faith to look like in 2019? That's my question I'll leave us with as, as we start. What do we want our faith to look, look like in 2019? What do, we, what do we want that to look like? Will we make a New Year's resolution this year that we'll remember? Now, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't even remember if I made a New Year's resolution this time last year. I don't think I did. I remember praying, though. I do remember the prayers I read because I wrote those down. A lot of the prayers I had for 2018, a lot of those were answered. Um, in fact, some of those were answered actually by Gunner inviting me to come teach um, here during the month of July and giving me that opportunity. Um, as, as a young pastor, anytime I get to teach, it's, it's, a, it's just a great um, joy of mine to, to do that. And it humbles me, because every time I listen to my old messages, I'm very humbled. <laughs> and I have a lot to learn by God. And, and that's, I think we all do. Um, so why don't you guys turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to be uh, starting in verse 1, and we'll be going to verse 16. 
Talking about faith, um, a verse you guys have all heard is probably Romans 10, 17. Um, and I think it's a great place to start. The faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. Amen? So are you guys ready to hear the Word of God? All right. So Hebrews chapter 11, if we'll start in verse 1, um, I'll read it for us, and then we can um, begin our study there. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things, of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen is not made out of what is visible. And by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was found, or he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he uh, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself re- received power to conceive, um, even though she was past the age. She still considered him faithful, who had promised Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born the descendants as many as the stars of the heavens, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeting them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land by which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Would you guys all bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would increase our faith today. And Lord, in doing that, I pray that you would actually make us discontent this morning, Lord. And we may not understand that now, but we will in a minute, Lord. And I pray that, that you would make us discontent. And Lord, that you would, uh, you would increase our faith, that our faith would show the world that we believe in something more. Lord, that we are expecting a heavenly kingdom. Lord, we have the hope of heaven. Lord, that our faith would testify to the world of another, of a greater kingdom, a kingdom that lasts forever, Lord. And we ask all these things in Jesus' good and precious name. And the church said, amen. You know, there's, there's a verse that many of us... Um, probably know, and you guys can probably finish it for me. It's Ephesians 2, um, verse 8, and it says, For grace you have been saved through faith. You guys know that one. So by grace we have been saved through faith. It's, it's a verse a lot of us know, and I think a lot of us understand the grace of God, right? Because we're all under the grace of God. When we mess up, we're under the grace of God. We're saved by the grace of God. But a lot of us, I think, struggle with this aspect of the faith part. And what is, the, what is this definition of faith? How can we define this faith? How can we make this real? How can we apply this faith part to our lives in a real way? And it's like when you look around, there's numerous definitions of faith. 
Like you can look around in the dictionary, there's different definitions of faith. And what I love is the author of Hebrews here starts off the first verse by defining faith for us and giving us a good, clear place to start. And what I think these passages do, and this is the direction I'm going to go this morning, is we're going to look at the definition of faith that the author of Hebrews, we don't really know who the author of Hebrews was. Some people think it was the Apostle Paul, um, but generally it's not known. Um, either way, we know that the author of Hebrews of Faith, they, he outlines a lot of men and women in this chapter 11 in particular. It's called, a lot of people know it as the, the Hall of Christian Faith, if you will, uh, the chapter of faith. And I love reading Hebrews 11, and I think it's actually kind of foundational to uh, where, where I got today, where I, where I came from, is reading this, this, these passages and being encouraged by how God used um, these men and women of, uh, of the Bible, of the scriptures. Um, they're kind of our Christian ancestors, if you will. And um, so we're going to look at these, the first five men and women and one woman uh, listed in these passages and what their faith meant. Um, and I hope that their faith will increase your own faith. I hope that their story will increase your faith in God. And we'll discuss what it's like to live here as strangers and exiles here on earth today. I think that's something that we, that's, uh, that's actually critical to the future of our church. Um, and then we'll end actually by, I'm going to read a letter of, uh, I, I, so when I read these kind of passages like Hebrews 11, I always think like, what if this similar kind of text was written today? Would my name be in it? Would my story be in it? Would I, would I finish my race well? You know, would, would I face the final curtain of life with faith, if you will? And, and I think that it's important for us to, to think like that actually when we're, when we're living our lives is, you know, if there was something similarly written about us today, what would it say about our faith? What would it say about your faith? And actually, so well, we're going to finish. Actually, I found a uh, earlier actually this month. I was uh, reading a letter written by a pastor in China, and I'm going to share his letter with us because I believe he's one of these men that would be listed in, in a similar text, and it's going to uh, inspire us. And his faith is uh, definitely encouraging. So that's that's the direction I'm going this morning. So let's look at the definition of faith. Um, it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for in verse 1, the conviction of things not yet seen. So there's kind of a, there's a two-part definition there, that the assurance of things hoped for, um, another translation would say, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. Faith is, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. But to hope for something means that the current state that you are in is not satisfactory, right? You're not content with the current state that you're in. To hope for something. If you're hoping for a better job, you're not content with the job that you're in. If you're hoping for a shorter sermon, you're not going to get... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Had to throw that one in. But you see what I mean. There's, there has to be a state of discontentment when there's hope. You know what? My hope isn't in this world. Why? Because it's painful. I see suffering. You know, and I even working with the Eskimo Police Department as a chaplain, it's like one of my first calls was just a tragic one, quite honestly. And you get to see these things happen, and that's what's happening around us. A lot of times it's covered. Our, our society really does mask pain well. We don't know how to deal with it well, though. So there's something that we're hoping for, the assurance of things hoped for. What are we hoping for? Something better, right? And that's why we have faith. Faith is stirred out of this discontentment. And yet, although, you know, here, here in America, it's, you know, it's easy to be content because we we're well-fed, we're well-clothed, we're safe, we're protected by police, we have hospitals around us that have great treatment, um, that are reliable and great. And despite that fact, though, we all need to live life well. And, and, and despite the fact that we have all these things, it's, 
there's this thing gnawing inside each one of us that says there's something more, right? There's always something inside of us that's gnawing and saying there's got to be something more. That's discontent with what we have. And I prayed that that would be us spiritually. That there'd be something gnawing for God to do something greater in your life, in your family's life, in your friend's life, at your workplace. That there should be that discontentment. And I think discontentment is a foundational element of faith. And without it, there is no hope for something more. If you're completely content, then there's no reason to have hope, right? There's no reason. And then it talks about faith. You know, by faith, we believe that God created. You know, we can see the things that are unseen. It's a conviction of things not seen. You know, similarly, I would say that faith enables us. It's just like our eyes enable us and give us evidence that what is before us is real. We can see things with our eyes, right? And we see physical things. We can see the physical world around us. But faith is that same means by which we can see that there is a spiritual world around us. That there is something more. And faith is is more, though. So a lot of definitions of faith, you know, it's like to believe in something. That's what a a lot of people, when they say, like, you can't just have faith. That's the thing I've heard a lot as, as, a, as a pastor, as a Christian, is a lot of uh, my friends that don't believe say, like, it's just, you just have faith. That's all you have. There's nothing tangible to that. No. Faith is willingness to trust and to cling to something. See, everybody has faith in something. And yet, unfortunately, I think a lot of people have faith in themselves and their ability to get a better job and their ability to climb the, the ladder um, to get status or whatever it is that they desire. They have faith in themselves. Maybe it's faith that they can get the wife that they want or the husband that they want. They have faith in themselves that they can achieve what they need to achieve. No, I have faith in Christ. I trust and I cling to him. That's what our faith is. It's our trusting and our clinging to him. And that enables, that enabled these people in the past that we're going to read about, these five, five different people in the past to overcome obstacles that they faced in their life and enabled them to face their final days here on earth with, with faith in strength, knowing that there's something more and that God created everything from nothing, um, that's something we can't do. By faith, you know, it's interesting that the author of Hebrews writes this, that the world was created um, by things that aren't visible, by not, nothing that was physical material or matter. And it's interesting that, that it echoes the same thing that Genesis taught, spoke. is like when God said, let there be, there was. Amen? And it's interesting that the author of Hebrews, um, a lot of scholars say like at this time of the writing, a lot of other people would have not agreed with this. I believe that when God said, let there be, there was. That God created something out of nothing. And where's their evidence of that? Have you guys ever been to any of the national parks here in California? We live in one of the most beautiful states. Have you guys been to any of the national parks here? How about Yosemite? Okay, have any of you guys seen Half Dome? It's one of the iconic rocks there in in Yosemite. Oh, I've hiked up Half Dome probably five or six times now, and every single time I climb up those cables on the backside of Half Dome, and then you stand on like the little diving board of Half Dome, the nose of Half Dome, you're looking down thousands of feet, there's nothing stopping you. The last thing going through my mind is how great I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? The last thing going through my mind, the first thing coming to me is awe. Everybody that's up there, whether they are a believer in Christ or not, they are filled with awe. Why? Because they're looking at something that is miraculous, that they could not make on their own. Something that is greater than them, and it makes you feel small. And I think that that is good for us. I think that feeling is good good for us because it draws us near to God and it points to something more. That those rocks didn't just get formed on their own 
It wasn't just a, a random chain of events that caused that to be there. There's something awe-inspiring about that because I believe deep down we believe that God created it. Amen? God created it. And he created us for us to see and to seek him. His creation reminds us of him. So by faith, um, we'll talk about Abel first. Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, he died. Um, though he died, he still speaks. You know, so the, this, this, the author of Hebrews in, in chapter 11, 11 starts at, at Genesis chapter 4, at the very beginning, basically, with these characters of faith. Abel. You have Adam and Eve and then Cain and Abel were the first two sons born out of, out of that relationship. And in Genesis 4, 3 through 5, Abel makes this sacrifice to God by faith. He makes a sacrifice to God by his faith in God. And Abel didn't. I mean, and Cain didn't, my bad. Um, and the difference is, is Abel's blood still speaks to us today, reminding us of the value of eternity, reminding us of the importance of faith in God. That without faith, we cannot please God. Without faith, we cannot please God. We cannot decide the terms we come to God. You know, we can't make up the terms that, you know, by which we come to God. God outlines that for us. God, Abel comes to him by faith, gives him a sacrifice by faith, and God is pleased by that. And then you have Enoch. Uh, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Enoch is, is a, a crazy story when you're reading through the book of Genesis. If you start the book um, this next year, as Debbie suggested, I, I, I strongly suggest you do. Um, if you start in Genesis, Genesis chapter 5, verse 21 and 20 through 24 is where Enoch's story is found. And he's the man who was said to have walked with God and then was not. Because God took him. It's like he was just strolling along. Like his relationship with God was so tight that he was just kind of walking along with God as a friend. And all of a sudden God's like, you know, it's kind of like we're closer to my house. Why don't you just come home with me? (laughs) That's kind of what happened with Enoch. He didn't see death because God was just like, hey, we're buddies. You please me. Enoch's faith in God and his communion with God is a a testimony to us that that pleases God. And the author here is suggesting that only a man or woman of faith can enjoy this type of close fellowship with God. Only men or women of faith can enjoy this close fellowship with God. And in pleasing God, Enoch fulfilled the chief purpose for which man was created. Amen? In pleasing God. And Revelations 4.11 says that. And that's just what, that's incredible to me. That story, that Enoch's just walking along and God's just with God. He's walking with God. How cool. And I pray that we would have that kind of close fellowship and communion with God on our daily walks, that we would walk with God. Because I think he would deal to amazing things. I've seen him do that over and over and over again. But it's good for us to remember, church, that it is impossible to please God without faith in God. It's a faith that believes that he exists, and it has the confidence to say, and this might make you uncomfortable, I will be rewarded for earnestly seeking God. Would you guys say that with me? I will be rewarded for earnestly seeking God. There you go. Let's try it again. I will be rewarded for earnestly seeking God. Do you have to believe that? 
You know, the whole world around us wants to tell us that God doesn't exist, especially in America. That God doesn't exist. Heaven isn't real. Hell isn't real. It's all just, it's nothing. You can just, you can find your perfect peace by meditation and this and that. And there's all these different things the world wants to say, but they don't want to acknowledge that God exists is the main thing. We have to acknowledge that he exists. We have to have confidence in our hearts that when we seek him, God's going to reward us for that. It seems kind of counterintuitive. It's like, God, why are you rewarding me for just seeking you? He does. Where do we see that? Okay, Jeremiah 29, 13. Thanks for asking. You will seek him. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. You guys might have read that one. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me or when you seek me with all of your heart. How about Matthew 7, verse 7? Jesus says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. There's more even. John 14, 13 uh, and 14 says, Whatever you ask in my name, just as Jesus is saying again, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 15, verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask what you will wish and it will be done for you. And 1 John 3.22 says, And whatever we ask, we receive in him because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Isn't that incredible? That's the reward we have, is that we as believers can ask anything that we want in Christ and we can receive it. Now, I'm not giving some name it and claim it theology here. You actually have to do what pleases him. That means you have to seek him with your whole heart. I believe when you're really seeking God with your whole heart, you believe in his commands, you're reading his word, going through it, you know, the whole Bible in a year would be a great way to start. And God's going to start answering your prayers. Why? Because your prayers are going to align with his heart for what he's doing in your life. And you know, it's, I found this, this uh, verse actually in uh, 1 Chronicles 28.9, and this is David, King David um, talking to his son, and it's kind of his commission to his son, if you will, uh, Solomon, who's going to be the next king of Israel. And I think that this is something that I would like to pass on to my kids as well when he says this. He says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. And if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And is that not true? That when we seek God, he makes himself found by us. Now, there's always that Christian question in the back, like that theological question, like, what if somebody dies without having known God? Did they seek him? You don't have to, you, if you just seek him with your whole heart. And I believe that God's working around the world like that, and, he, and he's totally blowing us away and blowing our understanding of how he works away by doing that. God works in mysterious ways. But when we seek him, we know that we will find him. That's what these men of faith also knew. Uh, in verse 7, it says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. For by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. See, the story of Noah is incredible, and I, and I, I honestly I don't want to ruin it for you guys because we oftentimes make it into a children's story. And I'm like, well, what are we trying to teach our kids? Like, we have all these animals going into the ark, and it's like this cute scene, but it's like, no, this is when God destroyed the whole world because it was wicked. <laughs> you know? And it's just like, it's crazy to me that it's like, well, you know, the world was sinful, and God had to pretty much wipe out everybody except one family, Noah, because they were righteous. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events, as yet seen, you got to see years before the flood even happened, 
500 miles away from the nearest ocean, God tells Noah, hey, I want you to build a big boat. I want you to build a giant boat, bigger than any other boat that's ever been built in your time. And then I want you to stuff it full of animals. He would have looked like a madman. And, and honestly, I think he probably, and yet he, he's never said anywhere that he looked at God and was like, really? <laughs> he didn't question God, he just started building. And I love Noah's faith that he started building before there was even a drop of rain on that ark. It would be similar to God saying, hey, I'm in, a, I'm in a flood valley center and it's going to be full of water. You're going to have to get your boats ready. It's like, I don't think that the water is going to come that high. You know, it's like our faith would really be tested there. But that's what God told Noah and he believed. Noah's faith was great. And what Noah's faith really tells us and shows us is that real faith will always do something, Right? Real faith will always do something. If you have real faith in Christ, you're going to be compelled by that faith to do something. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This is incredible. Abraham's faithful obedience to God was that God is like, hey, I'm going to make you a great nation. And Abraham's like, I'm old. I'm old and I have no kids. I can't even have a kid. And God's like, I'm going to make you a great nation. You got to realize in your mind, like if you like, you, you couldn't even see that promise coming. He had to have faith that God was going to do that. And he did. And God also said, go out from this place. I'm going to show you this land of promise that I've set aside for you. And he had to actually get up, pack his bags, and go in faith. No, it's like that kind of faith just to get up and go is incredible. That God, he followed the word of God. And then not only that, but when he got to the land of promise, what did he do? Did he build a house? Did he build a mansion for himself in this land of promise? No. He lived in tents. He lived in tents with his sons, Isaac and Jacob. Why? Because he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is who? God. A city that has foundations who is, that's designed and built by God. I can't wait to see that city. And you see, I pray that our faith would be a testimony to the world around us, to those around us, whether it's people that we're working with, people that are in your family, um, people that you live with, whoever it is, that it would be a testimony, testimony to them of another world, of another kingdom, of another city, a heavenly one. The way we live needs to show that. Sarah's faith, it says, By faith, Sarah herself, this is Abraham's wife, received power to conceive when she was past the age. She was well past the age, I would say, since she considered him faithful who had promised. You see, the interesting story with Sarah is that her faith wasn't perfect. And it should encourage us. Because I know my faith isn't perfect as yours. No, but Sarah's faith encourages me. Why? Because she laughed at God when he told her she was going to conceive. She laughed at him. And then only that, but she denied laughing at him after that. Doesn't get much worse than like telling, like laughing at God's face and then denying that you laughed. Like, he's God. He knows. He's right there. And yet, it didn't take too much longer. In Genesis 18, she laughs at God. But in Genesis 21, she learns to laugh in faith as she has a son in her old age. How powerful is that? And not only that, but God actually fulfilled his promise and created a great nation out of them created a great nation that he was going to call his own. He fulfilled his plan. Why? Because he chose to use them. 
for no other reason than he chose to use them. These all died in faith, though, not having received the things that were promised, but having seen them from afar and greeting them, or greeting them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. That they had been thinking, if they had been thinking about the land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. See, this is the hope that we need to give to the world, right? This is not the hope that we need to give to the world. These men all died in faith. You know, there's going to be prayers that you guys are praying today that's not going to be answered in your lifetime, but it will be answered later on. How do I know that? Because I've studied men and women of faith, and their prayers were answered, maybe not in their lifetime, but God's promise was fulfilled through their prayer later on. I have faith that my prayers today may not be answered in my lifetime, but later on they will be. Because I know that God works in mysterious ways. But I want to live my life today in such a way that it shows the world that I desire a better place, that this isn't my home that I'm temporarily here, that we are aliens and strangers here in, in Valley Center, in Escondido, in Valley, wherever you guys, wherever we are, that we are aliens and strangers. So how strange are you? That's a good question, right? How strange are we? Because faith without the hope of heaven is not a saving faith, and, and faith that doesn't act like aliens and strangers also, I would say, is, is not a saving faith. We need to act like aliens and strangers here. Why? Because it shows the world around us that we have hope for something more, that we have the hope of heaven in us. That we have a promised Savior, and we just celebrated his birthday, that he's not dead, that he's alive. Amen. You know, that, that he's risen from the grave so that we might rise to Christ, with Christ, and inherit eternal life. That he's gone to prepare for us a heavenly kingdom, a heavenly city. You guys believe that? I believe it. I'm stoked for it. He's going he's gonna to raise us up in glory. We're going to actually inherit, basically, new bodies. He's going to give us new bodies. Praise the Lord for that. I'm a sojourner in this land with this body right now, and God's got something better for me. He's got something better for you. If you have faith in him. And we know that he's coming back. He's coming back for his church. We don't know when, but I do know we're 2,000 years closer than when the Hebrews was written. So how is our faith prepared to endure the test of time? You know, because when we become... When we put our faith in Christ, we immediately become citizens of heaven, heirs of the eternal glory that God has promised us, right? It's like him giving us a passport with your name and your picture on it that never expires to heaven. And that's what's so great about it. That's, that's my hope. Is like, that's why I can face whatever happens today or tomorrow, knowing that, it's all, okay, if God's done with me here today, and he's done using me here, you know, there's this great passage, um, I think it's later on in Hebrews 13, where he's talking about, and David, after fulfilling all that God had commanded him to do, died. After he fulfilled all of God's promises in his generation, all that God wanted him to do in his generation, he passed away. He died. And I want to do that here. I want to fulfill all that God has called and planned for me to do here in North County, and then I'll die. Because as soon as I'm of no use to God, I want to be with him, and that's what he's going to do, right? And that's our hope. That's our hope of heaven. All of these men and women of old died in faith, believing that this isn't it. You know, later on in Hebrews, there's actually a man named Joseph because we, we talked about Abraham and then you have Isaac and Jacob and then Jacob had the son named Joseph. 
And Joseph has written about it. And Joseph was, he had a ridiculously rough childhood. You can read about his story in Genesis. Um, at the age of 17, his brothers, his older brothers, his youngest of his, of his family, his older brothers threw him in a pit and then sold him into slavery. It doesn't get much worse than that, but also he had a kind of a crazy dad. He had a crazy family situation. But, but he never did anything but act righteously his whole life. And even though he was sold into slavery, under the worst circumstance he could, God raised him up in a house of Potiphar. And then he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. As a righteous man, he only ever acted righteously. He only ever did what was right. And then he was falsely accused, imprisoned, falsely. And then God raises him up and then he's in charge, the second in charge of all of Egypt, right? And God uses him to deliver his people. God uses him to save him from a seven-year famine. And yet, although, although Joseph had the status and power of an Egyptian. He was second in charge. He had an Egyptian wife. He had Egyptian kids. He had all the Egyptian money he could ever need. He didn't buy the whole package. And I pray that would be the same for us, that although we have American families, American wives, American husbands, we have American kids, we live and we work in America where we make good money and we're well-fed, we're well-protected, we're satisfied relatively, that we wouldn't buy the whole package that this is it, that the American dream is it. So are we living our lives in such a way that that shows the world that this life isn't it? When we drive the same cars, we all work and go towards, you know, they work towards the same goals. We shop at the same malls and, and everything we do with our time, our talents, and our treasures is saying that this is it. Does that resonate with any of you guys? Because what kind of legacy are we leaving for the next generation to follow? And that's my question, is, is, is what kind of legacy are we wanting to leave in 2019? Is what we're doing with our time, our talent, and our money saying that this is it? Because oftentimes, how we act, what we spend our time, our talents, and our money doing speaks a lot louder than what we say. And I pray that God would show us how to live as strangers and aliens here in this world. I pray that he would. That we would be, that we would look a little weird. People called Paul weird. People called Noah weird. Yet God used them mightily, right? People are going to call us weird. I'm okay with that. So how weird are you? Are you right now? Are you strange? Now I'm not saying we have to walk around with our like Christian hat on or uh, whatever it is like just to, to like stand out like that. But maybe that wouldn't be a bad start. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just because it's so easy to blend in here in America, being an American Christian. It's so easy to blend in. And Colossians 3 says this, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not here on things that are of earth. Um, this next year, I pray that we wouldn't get wrapped up in the earthbound stuff. I pray that we wouldn't get wrapped up in the earthbound stuff. As, as believers here in North County, I pray that we wouldn't get wrapped up in the earthbound stuff and that people would notice that. And that God would increase our faith, and challenge, that we would challenge one another to set our minds on the things that are eternal. And by that, that the world would surely call us strange. Because we believe in a God who saves. You see, there's a lot of people, or a lot of places around the world right now, and I love how your church is so connected to and supporting so many missionaries around the world. And every time I'm here, we always, you guys always pray for a missionary that you highlight, and, uh, and I love that. 
Why? Because here in America, it's easy to blend in as a Christian, right? We wear the same clothes, we drive the same cars, uh, we go to the same malls, etc. It's easy to blend in. Nothing really stands out about us. You know, it's like when, when I go, when we go on campus, like a high school campus or a junior high campus, um, for example, we stand out immediately. Why? Because we're not a teacher and we're older than them. It's like you're automatically the stranger. And around the world, right now, there's a lot of Christians that stand out. That by their faith, they're persecuted by their governments. And, and I want us to be praying for those Christians that God would increase their faith. And that's my other charge for us this morning is that as God increases our faith, I pray that we would be praying for the faith of other believers around the world. Because God's moving mightily around the world right now. And one such man, I told you about this, I was going to read this for you guys. Um, he's a pastor in China, Pastor Wang Yi. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with what's going on in China right now, um, a little bit that I know, at least, is that the Chinese government's really cracking down on Christianity and other religions that are practiced there. Um, the Chinese government really uh, kind of has this um, almost Roman god thing going on with their, their Chinese president. And as Christians, they don't bow down to the Chinese emperor, you know, the Chinese president. And this pastor, um, Wang Yi, he's one of the more prominent evangelical pastors there, and I didn't even really know about him until recently. He wrote a, a letter for seeing that he was going to be arrested eventually for his faith in China. And on December, and he, and he gave this letter to his church members, um, and he said, hey, if I disappear for more than 48 hours, I want you guys to publish this. I want you to get this out. And they did. And on December 7th, he had gone missing for more than 48 hours. He's, I, I, as far as I know, he's still... Um, either you know, imprisoned in China or we don't really know where, but on December 7th, he disappeared along with 100 other of his church members, and this letter was published, and it was shared. And I'd like to read it to you because I, I was challenged powerfully by it, and this was just this December 7th, just a couple weeks ago. And this is somebody that I think today would have a seat amongst these men and women of faith. And um, so I want to read this to you by Pastor Wang Yi real quick, um, if you guys would listen. And if you guys would like, I can send you guys the link to this um, after the service. It says, my declaration of faithful disobedience. On the basis of the teachings of the Bible and the mission of the gospel, I respect the authorities God has established in China. For God disposes kings and raises up kings. This is why I submit to the historical and institutional arrangements of God in China. As a pastor of a Christian church, I have my own understanding and views based on the Bible about what righteous order and good government is. At the same time, I am filled with anger and disgust at the persecution of the church by this communist regime at the wickedness of their depriving people of the freedoms of religion and conscience. But changing social and political institutions is not the mission that I have been called to. It is not the goal for which God has given his people the gospel. For all hideous realities, unrighteous politics, and arbitrary laws manifest the cross of Jesus Christ, the only means by which every Chinese person must be saved. They also manifest the fact that true hope and a perfect society will never be found in the transformation of an earthly institution or culture, but only in the sins being in our sins being freely forgiven by Christ and in the hope of eternal life. Amen? As a pastor, my firm belief in this gospel, my teaching and my rebuking of all evil proceeds from Christ's command in the gospel and from the unfathomable love of the glorious King. Every man's life is extremely short, and God fervently commands the church to lead the call, lead and call any man to repentance who is willing to repent. Christ is eager and willing to forgive all all who turn from their sins. This is the goal of all efforts of the church in China, to testify to the world about our Christ, to testify to the middle kingdom about the kingdom of heaven, to testify to the earthly momentary lives about a heavenly eternal life. 
This is also the pastoral calling that I have received. For this reason, I accept and respect the fact that this communist regime has been allowed by God to temporary, temporarily rule. As a Lord's servant, John Calvin said, wicked rulers are the judgment of, God's, or of God on wicked people and the goal bringing, or a being to urge God's people to repent and turn towards him. For this reason, I am joyfully willing to submit myself to their enforcement of the law as though submitting to the discipline and training of the Lord. At the same time, I believe that this communist regime's persecution against the church is greatly wicked. Unlawful action. As a pastor of a Christian church, I must denounce this wickedness openly and severely. The calling that I've received requires me to use nonviolent methods to disobey these human laws and, and uh, that disobey the Bible and God. My Savior Christ also requires me to joyfully bear all the costs of disobeying wicked laws. But this does not mean that my personal disobedience and my disobedience and the disobedience of the church is in any sense fighting for rights or political activism in the form of civil disobedience, because I do not intend of changing any institution or laws in China. As a pastor, the only thing I care about is the disruption of man's sinful nature by this faithful disobedience and the testimony it bears for the cross of Christ. As a pastor, my disobedience is one part of the gospel commission. Christ's great commission requires all of us to be disobedient, to, be, to great disobedience. The goal of disobedience is not to change the world, but to testify about another. For the church, or the mission of the church is only to be the church and not to become part of any secular institution. From a negative perspective, the church must separate itself from the world and keep itself from being institutionalized by the world. From a positive perspective, all actions of the church are attempts to prove to the world the real existence of another. Does that ring a bell? And he continues, the Bible teaches us that in all matters relating to the gospel and human conscience, we must obey God and not men. For this reason, spiritual disobedience and bodily suffering are both ways that we can testify to um, about the eternal world and to another glorious king. This is why I'm not interested in changing any social or political or legal institutions in China. I'm not even interested in the question of when the communist regime's policies persecuting the church will change. Regardless of which regime I live under now or in the future, as long as the secular government continues to persecute the church, violating human consciousness that belong to God alone, I will continue my faithful disobedience. For the entire commission God has given me to, or, uh, to let more Chinese people know through my actions that the hope of humanity and society is only in the redemption of Christ, in the supernatural, gracious sovereignty of God. If God decides to use this persecution of the communist regime against the church to help more Chinese people despair of their futures, to lead them through the wilderness of social disillusionment, and through this to make them know Jesus, if through this he continues disciplining and building up his church, then I am joyfully willing to submit, my, or submit to God's plans, and his plans are always benevolent and good. Precisely because none of my words and actions are directly towards seeking or hoping for societal or political transformation, I have no fear of any social or political power. For the Bible teaches us that the Bible or that God establishes governmental authorities in order to terrorize evildoers, not to terrorize doers of good. If the believers of, in Jesus do no wrong, then they should not be afraid of dark powers. Even though I am weak, I firmly believe that this is the promise of the gospel. It is what I've devoted all of my energy to. It is the good news I am spreading through Chinese society. I also understand this happens to be the very reason why the communist regime is filled with a fear at a church that is no longer afraid of it. I am imprisoned for a long, whether I'm imprisoned for a long or short period of time, if I can help reduce the authorities' fear of my faith and my Savior, I am very, very joyfully willing to help them in this way. But I know 
that only when I renounce all the wickedness of this perse- of the, the persecution against the church and use peaceful means to disobey will I truly be able to help the souls of the authorities and law enforcement. I hope God uses me by means of first losing my personal freedom to tell those who have deprived me of my personal freedom that there is an authority higher than their authority and that there is a freedom that they cannot restrain, a freedom that fills the church of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. Regardless of what crime the government charges me with, whatever filth they fling at me, as long as this charge is related to my faith, my writings, my comments, and my teachings, this is merely a lie and temptation of demons. I categorically deny it. I will serve my sentence, but I will not serve the law. I will be executed, but I will not plead guilty. Moreover, I must point out that this persecution against the Lord's church and against all Chinese people who believe in Jesus Christ is the most wicked and most horrendous evil of Chinese society. It's not only a sin against Christians, it's also a sin against non-Christians. For the government is brutally and ruthlessly threatening them and hindering them from coming to Jesus. And there is no greater wickedness in the world than this. If this regime is one day overthrown by God, it will be for no other reason than God's righteous punishment for this evil. For on earth there has only been a thousand-year church. There has never been a thousand-year government. There is only eternal faith. There is no eternal power. Those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels, and those who interrogate me will one day finally be judged by Christ. When I think of this, the Lord fills me with a natural compassion and grief towards those who are attempting to act and actively imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord would use me and that he would grant me patience and wisdom and that I would take the gospel to them. Separate me from my wife and my children. Ruin my reputation. Destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all of these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life. And so, respectable officers, stop committing evil. This is not for my benefit, but rather for yours and your children's. I plead earnestly with you to stay your hands, for why should you be willing to pay the price of eternal damnation and hell for the sake of a lowly sinner such as I? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the eternal living God. He died for sinners and rose to life for us. He is my King and the King of the whole earth, yesterday, today, and forever. I am his servant, and I am in prison because of this. I will resist in meekness those who resist God, and I will joyfully violate all the laws that violate God's laws. The Lord's servant, Wang Yi. Church, would you bow your heads and let's pray for Pastor Wang and his church right now in China, and I'll invite Barry up for worship. Father God, we do pray for Pastor Wang. Lord, we don't know his current status right now, Lord, but I do know that he is your faithful servant. And Lord, he's not only that, but he's a great example to all of us and encouragement to all of us to, uh, to have increased faith in you, God. Lord, that you raise up governments and you tear them down. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith and, and the strength uh, to resist any, any evil, Lord. And Lord, would you give Pastor Wang Yi and, and the hundred members of his church that are missing right now, Lord, would you give them strength wherever they are at? Lord, would you allow their, testament, their testimony, Lord, of nonviolent action to speak loudly to all those who imprison them? And Lord, I pray that your word would go forth in the Chinese prisons. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' good and precious name. And the church said, Amen.